Hey man, welcome to Summer Assembly Required, the monthly talk show that brings together members from the Australian podcasting community. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Betson from The Pop Culturist, and this month we have assembled a bunch of awesome peeps. We've got Dane Pevy, is that correct? That's Peavy. Oh, I almost but said Pervy, so I'm yeah, glad it should, it should be Pevy. Look, it from should be Pevy. <laughs> Uh, and we've also got Joel Grolton, hey, hey. pronounced correctly, from Anna Game. Yep. Howdy, howdy. Amen. And Simon Black Blackburn from Apple Slice. And take my tone. Hello. <laughs> and we can't forget the young to my wrestler, Jem. Jem the pop culturist. Yeah. How are we all? Good. Very good, good man. Good. That's good to hear. Well, that you know, look, I'm known a lot of fucking around because i'm i just whimsy my shit <laughs> let's get straight in this bad boy because as you said here we are a collection of australian podcasters but there seems to be an issue that simon has and it's the state of aussie accents because as we are mm-hmm. all talkers accents are very prevalent mm-hmm. yes so uh simon <laughs> What's going on with the Aussie accent, like Simon. 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 It's Simo. <laughs> it's the back of the mouth. Yes. It's got to sound like a chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be nosely, like nasally. <laughs> <laughs> give us, a, give us, give us, uh, chew, chew our ear off, Simon. What do you got for us? So basically, um, in some predominantly English-speaking countries, you can really pinpoint the person's location. Uh, to the state or the township quite easily according to their accent that being US and UK etc Australia is a lot tougher uh, but the differences are actually there but they're not often discussed and I'm kind of obsessed with accents a little bit and so I can't, I want to just delve into it given that we are collectively uh, all members within this conversation WA, Victoria and Queensland is that correct? In Sydney yep. Oh, okay. There we go. New South Wales as well. Covered all the important states. Woo. Um, all right. So, I'm just going to start off, you know, Australia can be broken down into, the accent can be broken down into your broad, standard and cultivated accent. Um, for any international listeners, the broad is, uh, yeah, your, your broad sort of back of the throat kind of bit of a Aussie larrikin. That's your standard is a, it, Yeah, exactly. Standard's about... About this, you know, got a little bit of twang to it, and cultivated is a more well-spoken kind of leaning towards the English style of accent. So, when I was in the U.S. last year, I went over for a work trip, and we met up with some Americans, and naturally, you're doing the America versus Australia thing. And I actually met up with some Australians too. They were from Sydney and and the like, and we we're just talking, there and they're like, "Oh, you're so WA," and I was like, "What? What, what does that even mean?" Like I, I didn't even know that there were really differences, and they and they were sort of pointing to oh it's more like the way when you go oh yeah and and the way you pronounce some of the words with that back of the throat kind of drawn out sound. Um, now digging into this in Western Australia, according to Wikipedia, there is a tendency for centering. I thought you were, I thought you were to be like according to Wikipedia is a part of the Western Peninsula of Australia. <laughs> Mike, thank you. <laughs> um, according to Wikipedia, WA accent has a tendency to centre around diphthongs, which are gliding vowels. So mm. by this, I mean that those in the eastern states will tend to pronounce fear, beer, 
and rhymes words like that without any jaw movement, while Western Australians tend to pronounce them more like fear, beer. So you kind of put that little Almost like, like is it an o- open like the mouth at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also, according to this article, um, with WAN South Australia, so you know, shout out to House of Mario here. There's a tendency for some of the L sounds to sound like vowels. So by this I mean, like the words "hurled," "milk," and "hill" will be like "hurled," "milk," and "hill." Like it's kind of got like a bit of a "w" to it. Mm. Um, and now I don't have that part of it because I was on both sort of equal parts, um, WA and and Queensland. And so I want to know, have can do you know if you have any giveaway sounds in your accent or even things that you might say? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I know recently I found out that um, the word grouse is a very Victorian sort of thing. Mm. Like I, yes. I had friends down from Queensland. I said the word grouse and they looked at me like I'd said something in another language. Um, so from what I understand, yeah, it's a very Victorian thing. Like that word specifically, like saying something's grouse is, is yeah, a very Vic thing. I've never heard of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, because I know like, because I've got family that are based out of Queensland and the, the big thing for them is ending every sentence with A. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to the shops, A. Eh? Like that's a very Queensland thing. Mm. And say yeah. cool. But, and that's also, cool. I do that all the time too. So I don't know if that's from me growing up in Brisbane or if I've adopted it. I've picked WA. it up from, yeah, from my family, I think. So I think it might, that might be a learned one. Mm. Yes, yes. So is there, is there any other, because I'll get into, you know, some terminology soon. I'm going to run off some questions for your, you know, definitions of things. But I guess, yeah, is aside from the whole country versus city thing, if someone, if you were speaking to someone, do you think that you could tell, okay, yeah, you're definitely from Victoria. Like, if you're a Victorian and you're speaking to other Victorians, can you tell? Uh, probably if they start talking about, like, property prices, because you can tell if they're crying <laughs> about it <they're> from Sydney. <laughs> yeah. No, until you've brought up the topic, I didn't even think this much into our own accent. It, it, is, very, it, it is very interesting. Like, I think, yeah, if someone talks about AFL, like, you're probably from Victoria. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it is certainly a thing. It's not as prevalent in, like, as in, like, people in the UK, you know, where they sort of have that very changing accent, mm. even, even if it's from a town that's, like, two hours over. Um, yes, it's insane. Yeah, here I guess it's just kind of spread. I do think there is very much a difference between like city Australian accents and then metro oh, city accents. Mm. That's yeah. a big given. Um, on an interesting side, though, I don't know whether we'll get to this because I, I might, I'll, I'll jump in it now. So the Australian accent is changing, mm-hmm. and we, I think yes. I think we're losing it. Yes, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Touch you gonna get that into that? Too, yes. Then, yes, I, then yes, I will yes. hold that. <laughs> and I'll come back a little bit later. Oh. Well, funnily enough, um, a little bit of history also for international listeners is the reason we have the difference in the Australian versus New Zealand accent is because predominantly during colonisation, uh, pro- predominantly Scottish people went to New Zealand and Irish and English people went to Australia. Mm. So, uh, mm. yeah, very mm. strange. Um, amongst many other terrible things that happened. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> That is a very touchy subject, but uh, yeah, it, it's just I, I want I want there to be more videos about it. Like I love seeing videos about the fact that Americans can't do Australian accents and things like that. Mm. And I experienced that firsthand over there. They were trying to do it, and it was just so funny. There's a there's a guy I, can't, I think it might be a Wired 
playlist on YouTube. It's a, it's a dude who is a linguist. That's literally his job. He's a, not, not a cunning linguist, but he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah, his entire job is to teach actors how to get specific accents. And during is, is he the one that reviewed the performances? Yeah, and he sits there in like a white yes. room and starts. That's so yeah. fascinating. It's absolutely Ooh, fascinating. And then, yeah, and then love he talks it. about the Australian accent in there and how like yeah, no one, everyone tends to go Cockney. Mm. Yes. Yeah. But it is it is like literally hard. just a stone's it's like a stone's throw away from Cockney in many regards. Mm. Like it's evolved, but yeah. Mm. yeah. Interesting. Okay, so given that it's a bit hard for us to pinpoint any differences, I'm gonna do a little bit of a definition quiz. So right, going, you know, from person to person, state to state, what do you wear when you swim? Bodies. Bathers. Bodies, yeah. If you're a dude, boardies. If it's a girl, it's bathers, I guess. Bathers, yeah. Yeah, boardies. Okay, so so you do actually... Okay, that's interesting. So, Dane, you're not going to chuck togs in there? Oh, look, uh, budgie smugglers, like, look, I'm from the Gold Coast. You see them everywhere. Everyone thinks of the Gold Coast as, you know, white shoes, fake tan, silicon boobs. And it is. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but budgie smugglers are everywhere, you know. But for me, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm with the boardies. I like the boardies. It yeah, it's, it's a bit hard. Uh, I guess I mean more of like a broader term. So I um, I was actually born in the UK, moved to Perth when I was very, very young. And then I moved to Queensland also when I was like year two or something. Mm. And I remember they were doing swimming lessons and they go, okay, come on, everyone, get your togs. And I started crying because I was like, I don't have any togs. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Um, and then I, all those years later, come back to WA and I said togs and everyone's like laughed at me because they're like, it's bathers. Yeah, it's like, like the, the broad term. Togs but, does get used a fair bit, actually. Yeah. Mm. But budgie smugglers is fucking burnt. What is yeah. more Aussie than budgie smugglers? That's, That's it. True. Like, I remember yeah. when I watched Scrubs we called them for speedos. the first time, and they speedos, referred yep. to that Tog as like a banana hammock. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Mm. <laughs> That's thing I've never heard before. That blew mm. my mind. And I was going the other way, but there you go. So when you're at a bar, what are the different glass sizes you can order pop pint and schooner yeah pop yeah, pint and it. schooner well in order of size it's pot schooner then your pint okay and Dane yeah, yeah that's the shots that's the same and same with Joel yeah same man except we start with a shot <laughs> we start with a shot and yeah but uh, but not after like 10 o'clock or whatever the Sydney lockouts are it's you have to go real yeah, hard yeah. before that well I find in Victoria yeah, some places won't even do them before or after that some places are just straight up no <laughs> shots now oh, okay. what a world what a world we live in for, for WA it's uh, a glass a midi and a pint there's no schooner I have heard very of un- I have heard of a midi actually yeah, I've never sorry heard yeah. we, we're midi here in Sydney as well yeah yeah interesting uh, what do you call a cigarette Dari, <laughs> Siggy, yeah, cigarette, smoke, and we just we smokes, yeah, yeah, yeah Dari. So there's a yeah, difference, is it? Yeah, yeah, cu- country Victoria, it's a Dari. Yeah, Dari or a Dari. Okay, so- I I love this one. So thinking around your parents' age, what is your state's beer, and does it have a slang name? Ooh. VB. I think Carlton Draft's more prominent in Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. F- Back then, like if you think about the original, I think like, we just called. I think they were just five tinnies. <laughs> just tinnies. Or twoies. Uh-huh. So yeah, forex. My folks never forex, yeah. drank beers. Mm. I think so, my... so. Any uh, Dane? Do they have any forex? Have any nicknames? 
I don't know. I, I came from the family that did Shit. their own bottling until like it's the stereotypical, you know, thing. Your family does or your dad or your mum does all the bottling until, you know, the shed blows up and it's, oh, well, we'll never doing that again. And but then it just became Forexes. So we've all been there. I think as kids, we were like, we all had a job, you know, whether you did the sugar or you did like the, the bottle top on the top. Yeah, I, I did Hilarious. the bottle top. I was, I was the king of wow. that. Wow. That's the important um, role. Yeah, it's very important. Real uh, OG West Aussie Bogans are super proud of Emu Export, also known as the Bush Chook, also known as Red Cans. I've got, once again, so. like my, my stepbrother and sister are from, uh, they live in WA, yeah, and they, they praise Emu Export. Mm. I don't think I can, like, it's, I worked, it's trash. It's just, I worked it's trash. Dan Murphy's for like two years, never saw it. Like it I, never came across. I just want to try I've something never called heard Bush Chook. Yeah. <laughs> I love never that. That's so Bogan, I love it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's various other names like um, birds piss or something. I don't know, whatever. But um, okay, so you're really selling uh, it to me. <laughs> well, it's it can't be any worse than VB, which is camel's piss. So. Yeah. Um, there, there is like, look, if, if you think about VB, there's a couple of key flavors in there. Like you, you get your water, you get your your barley, other assorted beer shit. Mm, then there's this extra water. flavor <laughs> that you don't know what it is. And it's only unique to VB, and it tastes like asshole. It's all the dirty hops. Well, there, there was a really... Um, on my, my podcast friends, uh, Jaeger Day, they just released an episode on VB, and they dropped the very disgustingly termed... Uh, you know, slang term for VB that gets thrown around, and that's uh, vaginal backwash. Oh, jeez. No. Next Accurate, level. But, yeah, oh. that's nasty. That's nasty, isn't it? Is I wasn't going to go there, but I did. That right? sets an image. That really sets an image. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. Okay, so let's talk about um, some positive images, such as Chris Hemsworth. So, the Ooh, rise of yeah. Aussie actors in uh, blockbuster mm. pop culture films and shows. Mm. So, are we experiencing the Renaissance? Yeah. Well, I think the Renaissance was mm. sort of like the late 80s, wasn't it? That's when Australian culture really boomed. But Australian... Oh, yeah. Australian and stuff. Yeah. I guess I don't mean a strapping Australia as such, but Australian actors being big names. Like Mel Gibson's coming back and all the rest of it. Like 80s. Mm. Yeah, Hugh well, so, so how, how I view this is you had your Hugh Jackman and stuff, but now you've got your Chris Hemsworth, Next along with, you know, the sh- shadowing Liam Hemsworth, you've got Margot Robbie, mm. you've got um, with Stranger Things now, you've got uh, Darko Montgomery. Yeah, Rebel Wilson, hilarious. sadly. Yeah, Rebe- sadly. yeah, all that. Oh, no. Sadly. Um, um, and there just seems to be the real sort of, uh, you know, it's happening more and more. And they all seem to, it's like the requirement is you have to have started at least Neighbours or Home and Away to mm. get there. Yeah. Um, I think that's the rules within the country as well. I think what's hilarious though is that so you got you know the guy played Billy Stranger Things um, there's video interviews with him and he starts speaking and he's from Perth too repping WA yeah and he um, Australian accent and everyone's like in the fans like all the, all the massive like fans in there oh who love him I look at his eyes look at his eyes they look in the comments and, and they're like oh wow he's Aussie oh oh he's Aussie <laughs> like it's just, it goes either way. It's really See that strange. that is um, probably the the big thing about the Aussie accent. It is so jarring comparative, mm. like mm. because I'm gonna do it, and why would I not? Wrestling. Mm. So there's the, there's the currently there's the there's the tag team of the Iconics. They're two Australian girls, and very. Very Australian. Yeah, they're very. They yeah. hype their accents up really heavily. Yeah, so like when you hear, you know, like other wrestlers talk, like do their promos or whatever, and it's an American accent, and then you hear these two, gal- like literal galas. Galas, yeah, literally. It is so 
jarring like even in mm. movies as well like i don't know i don't know whether it's just the sound of our accent because like, as i mentioned that chainsaw sound like yeah. it was like a broken lawnmower i don't know what it is but there's something about the accent that just hurts yeah but i don't think it's as divisive as a south african accent i, th- I still think most people can't wrap their heads around that i agree yeah, right, yeah. Mm. but then you think of the australian accent and little things like you know i've heard stories from people who have been in the states and they've had to americanize their way of speaking to get something across like the way we say water like it's water? Sound, yeah the way we sound water water yeah water. in america like people will look at you like what'd you just say and you have to be like oh water water like you have yeah. to put yeah. that emphasis on the a water. because they don't understand water like they don't understand that sort of o sound well it's is there Americans have a real uh, focus on R sounds, mm. so that's really strong. And Whereas we like replace it with R. There's a mm. great like Carl Barron joke where he talks about when he was, I think, he was at a hotel and he was, you know, or- organizing his room. He's like, "Yeah, it's Carl Barron, like Kyle, like oh no, Carl, Carl Barron, yeah." Carl. Okay, I can't. Uh, th- just while we're here, I can't get over how Americans pronounce Craig. Oh, Craig, like, Craig, 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 Craig. Yeah. Oh, Craig. I'm like, Craigslist? Who's, who's Craig? Craig? Is that like great, like great, great weird? Craig, like mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, and lastly, while we're talking about USA, the US influence on the modern Australian accent, I think, as Ryan said, Australians are losing their, their quintessential accent. Mm-hmm. And I think some people within this conversation are guilty of it. I'm looking at you, Ryan. Oh, totally, I, I totally agree. I, I agree. Looking at you, you Grolton. Um, mm. No, I... I <laughs> Here's my thing, not um, not tr- I, I, I say not pointing any fingers. I've literally just named two people, but I know many <laughs> many other people within our podcasting circle who say new, stupid, like words that to me are the American pronunciation, and I and it's interesting. I'm like, is that something that you adopted through watching consuming this type of content? See, um, I, I think very much. I think probably very much so. Like, I've probably had... just anything, like cartoons or television, movies, mm. stuff like mm. that. Because, uh, yeah, I don't really take notice of, as you're saying, like stupid. I say, like, stupid. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, t- to me, that's, like, one of the main giveaways. It's, like, Australians say, and, and I'm totally, yeah, I'm not, not saying anything bad here. It's just something I've noticed more and more in the past, say, five years. Uh, even our, you know, our friend Buddy Watson also says stupid too. Um, and I'm, like... Okay, I always just assumed that everyone said stupid or new. Mm. To me, stupid Rather sounds than like dropping a, the pronunciation. It sounds yeah. bogan. Like it sounds like a very rural sort of way of saying yeah. it. To me, I don't. I I personally don't attribute that to an Americanization. I attribute that to a, like a very rural sort of not properly spoken yeah. way of it. See, but it's interesting that that uh, Simon brings that up because on multiple occasions in the past, people have questioned my accent. Like there has been a time. I remember I was uh, I was at uni. I was at uni, and someone goes to me, "Where'd you grow up?" I'm like, uh, "In Taralgon, like two hours that way." They're like, <laughs> oh, I thought you because I like you have like a Canadian twang. I'm like, get the fuck out! What are you talking about? <laughs> but it's like it's happened. It's As happened. he slurps his maple syrup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, yeah get out of here! Because I eh? smelt like maple syrup. But no, like it's happened multiple times, and I think it's it's certainly an influence from media. Because like as an example. There are people that I work with because I work within um, like the youth services and a lot of people on like ASD and they consume they consume so much media like their accents are literally affected like there is a gentleman his accent is entirely American and I asked him where are you from and he's like oh I'm from like Colac I'm like pardon and then I met a woman who her because of the level of anime she's consumed 
her voice sounds like a woman from anime, even down to the inflection points and the cadence. Everything about it is straight up anime. Wow. And with and I know a bunch of kids that I've worked with as well that they watch so much YouTube, like it directly influences their accent. Mm. My 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 son does that. He's three and a half, and he's like, he's like, I'm the biggest, baddest, super fastest. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, it's it's fast. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's the biggest, baddest. He's like. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna punch you real bad. I'm like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> that, that's like um, Mighty Morphin Power Agents. Just came out. <coughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm noticing that in um, like my godsons <coughs> as well, especially the young ones, same sort of age group. Um, yeah, because he consumes so much, um, you know, YouTube and stuff now, and he's listening to a lot of American um, shows and stuff mm. like that. He really is picking up that accent, and I think that's where it's all sort of coming down. Is like our younger generations are really going to lose that accent because of this. Yeah. Mm. Because they're like, they're not, they don't know the difference between like, you know, Australian content and American content. They're just watching it. So they can't sort of pick, you know, their hometown stuff and keep that going. Same. Oh. I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing because I'm all for, you know, things like uh, adopting other styles yeah. and, and influences and stuff. Like, as you say, you know, you could be a weeb like Dash and totally <laughs> be into Japanese culture. Um, you, do you know what I mean? And and that's like your real passion. And so I I don't mind it. I just find it interesting. I'm kind of yeah. like, when did it start happening? It is like, it's, it's, it is very fascinating. Like I myself, I, I do notice it when I present because when I, when I do... <laughs> when I do present or when I, you know, rather than just my regular conversation, I do bring my voice up a bit and I kind of get that presenty feel. And with that comes a harder pronunciation on words. So that way some of my accents lost because the Aussie accent is kind of gross. So like there are certain <laughs> words, like there are certain words that, that I... Grouse. There's certain Yeah, it's grouse. <laughs> like there are certain words that just sound painful. Mm. So like I, there are some that I intentionally avoid as saying a certain way because it just it's it jars my own ears. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, just before we end this topic, uh, anything from you guys, Joel, Dane? Anything that you've noticed or well, what about have, your have you noticed accent, the sort of change that's coming? Uh, I, I think there's just like as you already mentioned, like just some of the um, more so the words that we use. So, like, you know, examples like, you know, Barbie instead of barbecue and ankle biter for child. And what else have I got here? Like, servo, service station, also known in mm. Adelaide as fine dining. Um, you know, things like that. <laughs> you know, just looking at even the, even the yeah, nah. Nah, I love Adelaide. I love it. Hey, friends, I love you. <laughs> um, yeah, even like the yeah, nahs. Like, yeah, 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 nah, nah, yeah, yeah, nah. Like, imagine yeah, trying to get your head life. around that if you've never that's grown me up with work, that. Yeah. Um, and another yep. thing we say in Queensland a lot is whoop, whoop, you know. Yep. Like, after a big night, where do you, where, where, I'll drop you off, mate. Where you got to go? Oh, mate, well, he's from whoop whoop you know out, out the middle yeah. of the sticks yeah, no, we, we, we got that here too I almost feel like there is a lot of parallels between Queensland and WA like mm. that because so much focus is, is within the New South Wales Victoria area so one of my favourite things my, we'll talk Australianisms for a second one of my favourite Australianisms is when I grew up in country Victoria places weren't measured in distance or time mm. they were measured in beers <laughs> it's like wh where's more well oh, it's about three beers like oh yeah. shit I want to get that that's a bit, of, a bit of a drive yeah never heard that yeah it's a, I, I heard I heard it once growing up and it was the best thing I've ever heard <laughs> I, I got the guys from work they're just like you know uh, we, we're having a little uh, after work thing or whatever they grab a beer just chuck it straight in next to the driver's seat and they're like oh you know you need to have a roadie 
I'm oh, like, you've had a roadie. You're literally just telling me that you're going, okay, yeah, whatever. You <laughs> literally drink and drive. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I also love that we measure, measure things in like a shit ton as yeah, opposed to like an actual ton, term yeah. of measurement. Yeah, there's like, like there's like yeah. some more, heaps, a lot, heaps, and a shit a ton. load, a shit load, heaps. and then a fuck ton. <laughs> yeah, and a fuck ton, yeah, shitload. <laughs> yeah, it's its own. It, yeah, we've got our uh, own like our own scales. It's great. Alrighty, Betson, where are we? Uh, where are we going next? <laughs> well, look, uh, look. As I said, Australia has some unique things as we've come to talk about. Like we talked about measuring distance in bees, fucking saying grouse, just swearing a lot. That's totally an Australian yeah, thing. But something that's happened most recently that seems almost like relatively unique to Australia is a change in how Instagram works. So what they've done, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Danis. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's a good segue. How good's that? I'll uh, I'll lean off Simon and I'll just uh, put it out there to everyone. Okay, so look, everyone in the room, who's on Instagram? If you're not on Instagram, give me a yeah nah. Yeah nah, not really on it. Oh, there you go. Oh, cool. All right, there you go. Um, Hang on, I'm I confused. Was that a yeah about, or a no? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, it'd be good to get just different people's perspectives because I, I didn't see this coming. Now, whether this was something like everyone else knew, um, it was literally just on a Friday night that uh, my wife passed the information over to me. And uh, look, ultimately, it's just like Instagram at the moment are running a social experiment to hide, so it's not to remove uh, the number of likes. So due to growing concern about the effect in social media and, and on young people's mental health and, and self-esteem, um yeah so uh, to me that's i mean that's that's really interesting um and it's something i want to get you got your guys perspective on it's something that they're trialing here in uh, australia they're also doing it in brazil canada ireland uh italy japan new zealand i think they've just finished it off in canada yeah so for me um obviously it's it's as i said surrounding um trying to get a, a better perspective and better awareness uh, for young people's mental health, self-esteem. But I want to get your guys' perspective on it. So what are your initial thoughts on it? What do you, what do you think uh, from, a, from a young person perspective? Hmm. Ooh. See, the, 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 the issue that I, cause I think it's a good idea at its core. Saying that, though, it, the likes aren't really hidden. Like, mm. you can still click on it and then see that there's a fuck ton of people that like this post. So it's not truly hidden. Um, removing the number makes sense because I do think, we, especially with the social media world that we live in, it is very, you know, driven by those numbers, by those statistics. Mm -hmm. And I think the difficulty of that is for people that are Instagram influencers or whatever, they are their entire business model is based around those numbers so hiding them is an interesting decision i don't mm. think i don't think it actually solves any issues but i understand why they've done it yeah i think it does on a surface level thing like you were talking about dane about like young people just browsing through and seeing oh such and such has got thirty four thousand likes on this thing mm. but like uh correct me if i'm wrong they haven't removed the ability to like and they haven't removed the ability for the person who posted it to see how many their own likes that's are, right. right so just to give some clarification on that so you're scrolling through and what you'll see is you might see one or two people that you know have liked that but it doesn't give you you know this person likes it plus 250 others for you to see it which you can as a viewer you click on it you click on the likes and then you can actually see all the people so unless you physically go through there and count good luck um mm. you know that's that's the only way you can do it as you as the content creator, you can post something up and you can see the people, but very much the same. I don't think you get a total tally. It's just purely just number, like here's all the people. So you can look through. Basically. As the account oh, okay. holder, I you do, you, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, I thought you stood it as the account holder, which kind of refutes Betson's thing of like, if you were, say, a a sponsee working with a big brand or something Mm. like that, you could still give them the data they need. Totally true, but I'm saying that though, if they're not able to see see it on their end, you could totally fabricate that shit. Yeah. Like yep. if you if you're the only one that can see those numbers and you hand those numbers over, mm. I could I have Photoshop. I can make it do whatever I want. Yeah. I think for me because I do I run my Instagram as a business page primarily. Um, for what I do for work, obviously a lot of what I do is very aesthetic and. Um, the whole idea is making things look good um, with piercings and stuff like that. Obviously, we use super high-end jewellery for my job. Um, for me, I find it's detrimental because people base my worth as like, even though like I I'm personally think I'm a phenomenal piercer, I've had amazing feedback. You know, I give a shit about my job. I care. I do really well with it. Um, for me, it's detrimental because those likes are how I'm gauged on a surface level. Mm. If I, if people can't see how many likes I have on a photo, they're just going to be like, oh, well, you know, you take a nice photo. You've probably stolen it from somewhere. Even though I have like, you know, my studio's watermarks and stuff like that on it. People steal shit every day and crop things and stuff mm. like that. Um, so for me, I'm finding it, it's more detrimental than anything from a business perspective because my worth, even though I can be phenomenal and people can recommend me all day, Mm. if they don't if i don't have likes visible if i don't have enough likes visible they're just going to think of me as like just another like you know jerk off that's going to like hack me up you know well because that's the big thing because you can still get quite a substantial amount of likes and have a small follow base Mm. Mm. and that's the that's one of those things that are lost here because people people might find like something depending on whatever hashtag you use in an instagram photo but may not follow you but they'll like that photo yeah. So if you like normally say you have 4000 likes on a picture but your follow base is like 900. Mm-hmm. People assume like oh okay about 900 people followed that picture like no no it's like three times that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But maybe is this the first step in us changing as a society as how social media is going to work that we aren't so attached to purely going for the likes. Yeah. yeah. Whether that be as a poster or a viewer. Mm. Yeah. I mean like and just on the back of that as well. Oh, you guys someone I, I love the idea because I just I I hate the way that stats screw someone's mind. Mm. Um, mm. To be honest, like if especially if you you know you put together something and you're really proud of it, and then you push it out and you think okay yeah man this is gonna hit and it doesn't and you're like and then you see other people that you think that would react on on it and they're reacting on other things and you're like what's wrong haven't they seen it is he mm. is is it the algorithm what's going on so from like a sort of more personal perspective i like it i feel like they could solve the problem possibly by the instagram business profiles having it on by default yeah and the personal profiles having it off maybe i don't know yeah, I mean, like Instagram came out and they basically did a Twitter and said, "I'll oh, tweet," <laughs> uh, and it, and they say, "Like we want friends to focus on the photos and videos you share, not how many likes they they get." But how many and likes that tweet get though? <laughs> yeah, it's very true. But but you know what's interesting to me? It's what's interesting to me is we're we're a collective of people here. And we've all got different opinions, but most of us, if not all, went straight for that content creation, the monetization, the you know. The Instagram, I guess, that it is what Instagram is turning out to be. It's a, it's a tool to you know create awareness, brand awareness, whether it's a product or a service or things like that. And it's very easy to get caught inside that bubble if you're doing so much content creation, like I guess you know the collective here are doing. Um, and 
I guess we've got to step back as well. And maybe like I've got my you know dad hat on here, knowing that I've got two kids. And at some point in time, you know, I can already see it. And my wife's a teacher, primary education teacher. So she has that exposure too. Kids, even at early stages now, are getting in front of technology. You know, they're getting in front of technology to learn, to be creative, to communicate. It's just the way it is. It's not going away. It's just going to be there. And there's a lot of education from, I guess, us parents to, you know, you know, try and teach your kids as best as you can to limit that time or to, you know, the exposure that you get to them and having those conversations. So where I'm getting at is the real purpose and reason why they've done this is that they're at this point in time doing the experiment, looking at, you know, early teens, people and kids, boys and girls that are fully exposed to these social media platforms. You know, some are specifically made for those certain, um, some are made for those certain age groups, like your Snapchats, you know, Snapchats are going after your teens when they're open to everyone else. But what I'm getting at is like these these kids in this certain age are vulnerable. You know, they're self-discovering themselves. They're, you know, they uh, haven't got that full self-awareness of themselves. They are posting stuff and they've got this feeling, you know, back in high school, take yourself back, rewind. And, you know, they're looking at being socially acceptable and, and how do they get that? They get that through, you know, they're all got phones now. They're all on social media. And it'd be interesting... It's just interesting. I see that perspective, and I know looking at my kids, um, it's something that if they're if they're if, if these guys in social media, and whoever's running the platforms and whatnot, are looking at this, it means that there's a reason. You know, you, well, you hear it all the time with regards to um, you know people jumping on and being bullied on social media, whether it's Facebook and all the rest of it. I mean, that's that's you know, I guess that's the pinnacle of it. But it do it does stem down, and it does create awareness to the mental health side of things with regards to. You know, someone posting up a picture of themselves as selfies because that's the typical, you know, teen type thing. They're having fun and whatnot. And then they're like, oh, I didn't get as many likes or this person didn't like it. And they start to get more heavily invested in it emotionally. So, yeah. So, like, when I when I first saw this, it was initially as a content creator, I was like, oh, you know, that's how's this going to affect these people? But then, you know, I didn't straight away. It was it's just interesting how maybe my brain was a wide straight away to say, more first as a content creator but then as like for the full purpose of them doing it so um yeah i just found that i just found it interesting and i i think it's i think from my perspective i think it's a really good thing and i and i'm interested to see where it goes through the other platforms as well if it is successful see i do yeah, it that's I, what i was about to oh, say sorry you go like, joe because they are uh, instagrams also owns facebook mm. so if they come at the end of this trial and say yeah it was very successful you would hope that they would do the same thing to the other platform as well and kind of practice what they preach yeah. and i'm hoping that they don't then later come on and if they really are in this for the best intentions don't come out and be like but if you get instagram premium you get your mm. likes back mm. oh, okay see i i, I, think I feel like our uh, facebook is too much of the ad driven platform and even though you know as you point out you know like facebook owns instagram right and by default when you're running ads on facebook you can run them on instagram too you know link profiles and such I really mm. feel like that they they wouldn't do that to Facebook, given just how massive the general user base is, and just the advertising platform. Um, Instagram advertising is like strongly rising in favour of, um, and and particularly like advertising with uh, stories and stuff like that. Mm. So I feel like they could, yeah. Instagram will always be being that small platform would be the testing ground, but. Um, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you know, it was like earlier in the day with Facebook, they changed the layout and everyone's like, bring back version two. Like, mm. and also, like it would, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, again, at the same time, uh, Dane said about, you know, what the teens are using. Like, I don't even use Snapchat. I know that's like highly popular. You know, I'm, I'm sort of, I've stepped away from that. But just from a, 
at least the advertising perspective, I know um, Facebook is still going very strong. So yeah, I, d- I do think the business model of Instagram is incredibly different to the likes of everything else. Like Instagram is about those curated pictures that you spend extra time on, you make super pretty, and so so the average con- the average user of Instagram from what it, from the model that Instagram has created is all about these high-end sellable pictures, right? Mm-hmm. If you want pictures of selfies and shit, that's what Facebook's for. And yeah. then that is all hidden by adding someone as a friend. Where Instagram is designed about showcasing the best picture you can to the masses. Mm-hmm. So I think like that like-driven is required. It's almost part of what Instagram is. Yes. Like if you just want to like put pictures up on of yourself on Facebook or like uh, of your pictures of yourself, no tampering. Just here's my holiday. That's Facebook. Instagram. Mm-hmm intentionally i presume has sold itself for something completely different yeah like here's my holiday but a specific landscape yeah here's this one landscape that i fucked with photoshop for a little while i mean i guess Mm. i i feel in this situation if we're taking it away from the business side of things and we're going into that personal and teenage demographic i guess me i would be that target demographic because obviously i'm a woman i do makeup that sort of stuff you know we really base our worth on on that sort of interaction those likes and things like that which is really hard and i know i went through a stage there where i cleared out my instagram got rid of all my selfies and everything like that because i was posting my work and i wanted people to like my work but my selfies always got hundreds more likes than my work did and that really started to beat me down like why do i even bother with my work like nobody's looking at it nobody's Mm. liking it none of that like all they want is a friggin' selfie um and before that it was like oh you know i you know this girl's like you know this girl got this many likes and like i don't even think she's that pretty but i don't even get that many likes Mm. and i have makeup on and she doesn't in her photo and yada 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 i think when you step into that side of things and you know i come from a very very insecure background um i think you know being that young girl who was super insecure about her looks and stuff like that i feel like taking these likes away so people can't see them is actually really beneficial Mm. because then you're not basing your own worth on how many likes somebody else but technically you still are by you making and creating that shot to send to the masses you are still getting that info like it's it's you're still getting the likes like because if once again instagram has created this pre-existing model that he goes okay this picture should get about this amount of likes even by taking that away you posting a photo that meets those things you still see the numbers yeah so like mm. it, it, if you're not seeing somebody else's numbers you're not going to base yourself on yes but that. you still know, you still know what a good instagram like ratio would be mm. right so even if just from previous experience unless you're brand new to the platform as of this week you know what x amount of likes you should get for a photo so if you're a woman and you do womany photo things which is really popular on the brand mm. um like you go well i'm gonna get a probably get a couple thousand likes and you know that because you can still see that so you that same level of quote-unquote self self-worth or insecurity can still be demonstrated regardless whether that number's open to the public or not. But see, I see it as a out of sight, out of mind thing. Like it's going to get mm. to that point with it if they continue it. If you're not seeing it, you're not thinking about it. Saying that though, no one else sees my podcast numbers yet it consumes me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Unless, unless you're hosting on SoundCloud, then people can just go in and look at the listens. Yeah. Mm. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, the other thing that I was just going to mention before we get off this topic is that I found it just having this conversation. It's interesting and it never really dawned on me before as much is that just YouTube with the dislikes. Mm. Like, you know, it's, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it the only platform that has dislikes like that? As far as I'm aware, yes. Yeah. yeah so mm. it's just interesting you, that 
that has still been okay. Do you know what I mean? Like it's well, like it ha- has dislikes, but Facebook's got angry react. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but does the angry react actually feed back into the algorithm and stop your stuff being served? Because that's how yeah. uh, YouTube uses uh, the, the, the dislike thing. Oh, It'll okay. actually take the mm. ratio of likes, discount, uh, dislikes into account, plus your views, plus your total subscribers, mm. and whether or not it serves your video oh. to different people. So I didn't. Yeah, I don't YouTube's know. YouTube's way Facebook more binary. Calls. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Very good to get a perspective. Yeah, no, it was it was very cool. It's it, it's great to sort of dive into like things that are kept a little bit secret, a little bit hidden behind a door in like sort of the the social media space. But a play, but there's a whole other industry that thrives on secrecy so much that like if any information leaks out, people are like yelling at clouds. Um, <laughs> it, but it's the clouds. gaming space, like gaming space, is probably one of the most secret industries in the world. When you look at like you know Hollywood, and they're like, oh, here's how the movie was made here's the budget here's everything thank you very much but joel he wants to talk about mm. that games and that secretness of the shh game business i do so yeah a fair few of us here or around especially ones intro uh like in this uh some assembly required family uh are quite into our games so yeah after seeing the the comic-con uh launches of the marvel suite and the dc stuff over the weekend it got me thinking that like uh the big film studios and things like that like you said ryan they're very transparent with what they're working on budgets where they're filming everything like that uh and marvel have just come out and released everything they're showing up to like 2022 but certain games and things like that that are coming out months from now or early next year are still only strictly being shown behind closed doors to people the the industry as a whole is very very secretive Mm. uh in in comparison to other entertainment mediums and I was just kind of wanting to talk to you guys, like, why do you think that exists and uh, is it warranted at all? Especially with the big players in the film industry also being very big players in the video games industry. So if you look at uh, Warner Brothers, they're very influential with all the, the DC movies and things like that, but they won't tell you when uh, the next Arkham game's coming out or we've been speculating for years what Rocksteady's working on, that Harry Potter game is probably real i'll be very surprised if that leaked harry potter game doesn't turn out to be something but yeah i was just kind of keen to hear what you guys think about it i think it comes down to the complexity of what they're making um there's very limited chance of someone leaking footage from a movie of someone's arm glitching through a wall like that's not gonna happen so i think they think the whole extra development and the length of the development cycle he's probably plays a big part like with a movie in theory you can film it edit it get it up and running in about a year and a half where games will take multiple years because there is a lot of work there's a lot of building and it's that weird situation if you if you see something too early on it's not going to be what the final product looks like it's almost like whenever time you see someone you know like they've got their costume on in a movie and they have green screen legs you're like what are the fuck are they doing mm. but the difference but is- do you think they have to show anything at all like that i highly doubt anything for dr strange 2 has started to be filmed but they're happy to show like a yes it exists and this is the logo like you don't see that very often in games mm. unless they're going for a hype announcement I think there's been a lot more mo- games that have just had to stop production midway through because it simply didn't work. Like you can, some you can most of the time recover a bad movie. Yeah, because it's much cheaper to go do reshoots and change something than Sonic. it is to completely rework a whole segment of a game. Mm. What was that? Sorry, Dan. Oh, I just said Sonic. That was the first thing that came to my head. Yeah. <laughs> People don't like it. Change it. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah. yeah, a good example. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's not that easy with games. I think keeping the secrecy on them is keeping themselves protected because, like like you said, if something leaks early or releases early or anything like that, like it can be detrimental to that game in the long run. Mm. You know, if somebody sees, like, some massive glitch, they're going to be like, the, like you, everybody bases everything off first opinions, even though, you know, you've got your betas and your alphas and all that sort of stuff. Um, alphas and your betas, sorry. Um you know, people are automatically going to be like, if something's glitching in like a demo or something like that, or something that's been leaked, they're going to be like, oh, well, that's going to be trash. I'm not going to bother, you mm. know, doing that. No matter how much you try and hype it up afterwards, once the finished product is set in stone, people are like, oh, but remember that glitch? Like this game's trash. Like, mm. I think it's it's more beneficial for the games industry to keep things under wraps, to guarantee the su- success of it, you know? Mm. Um, because th- there's... You can't hype a game the way you hype a movie by like little releases of like, you know, little shoots of this happening and little behind the scenes photos and stuff like that. Like there, there's way too much that goes into it to even consider like releasing something early, even spoilers of like, you know, this is our development team working on this because the games industry as opposed to the mu- the movies industry, gamers are so critical. And it is a very, it can be a very, yeah. very, very toxic Hell environment. Hell no, we are a minority. Gamers rise up. <laughs> but we, it, it, can, it can get very toxic and it can be mm. really disheartening for teams as well. And it can cause them to shut down on a pr- project that they're working mm. on because of how negatively they get feedback by something that's been leaked before a finished product's even considered. Um, so I think, I think it's definitely more vital for the games industry to have that veil of secrecy to it because then it can guarantee the success of something, you know? Mm. Um, I was was totally going to, yeah, go off of what Jen was saying in that from an outsider's perspective because, you know, I'm not so much playing these games and stuff, but I'm obviously listening to uh, a lot of you guys talk about it and stuff and particularly when you're touching on this toxic, you know, gamer culture, I just feel like it really is comes down to just how harsh the reactions can be and how much it can sway a success of, of a product that being said I feel like the, the movie industry I'm looking at UMCU should take a little bit of a leaf out of that book and just pull back don't just like announce shit like years in advance because it just it makes me unexcited for the yeah. movies it's it's too much at once it's like I don't want to know that you're just like churning it out uh, you know I'm the opposite mo- like his, his eight movies or whatever it's like just give me like uh, a trailer for a couple or something and like that's it i'd much rather that so that way i can focus on them release to release rather than being like okay here we go yep they're gonna just like cash in on this and oh cool here's another sequel and i don't know i i feel like there's yeah a lesson to be learned from that but also i do understand why these games developers are very hesitant on um showing anything yeah, I'm with you there. I'd actually love to see if each year at Comic Con, their just thing was, "Here's our four trailers for the things coming next year." That'd be exactly. awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do, uh, it, so when when you sort of posed this question, Joel, were you sort of mm. wondering along the lines of, do, do you have a, an issue with with this secrecy being used as a marketing tool? Uh, yes and no. That was sort yeah, of where like, I was going with the marketing tool. Sorry to bite in. I was I, like the way that I looked at it, like especially these games that get announced now years and years beyond sort of thing to the point they were like, when are they going to release this? It just seems to be like this old legacy marketing strategy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'd imagine, you know, a movie takes X amount and the game takes longer. You know, these, these AAA rated games. 
And whether it's a marketing strategy, sort of drip feed the information to the consumer, you know, create that and build that emotions and excitement for the anticipation for it. And like, maybe it's a, it's a thing of relevancy too. It's like, we've got this game coming out. Um, you know, it's going to take three or four years to create, you know, the, the old like, oh, should we announce something that it's, you know, it is coming, you know, not tell them the date because, you know, we never know what's going to happen in the future type thing. Um, but we got to like just drop it in increments, you know, as soon as we know something just to keep, you know, the relevancy of it so that when it does drop, you know, or, or a big chunk of it's dropped, you know, people are going to still remember it. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, that was talked about maybe two years ago. Um, but it's also like just another thing where people get frustrated with regards to like sometimes people just don't want to hear it until it's fully done. Do you know what I mean? Until it's fully cooked. You know, people talk about here's a game coming out in three years' time. Uh, you know, that's good. But some people maybe just prefer, look, w- would you want to know if something's coming out but not knowing anything else? Or would you rather know, hey, here's a game. It's pretty much almost baked uh, give us 12 months to you know six months and we'll have it in your hands sort of thing Which, i mean what what would you guys prefer well using like death stranding as an example which is the upcoming game from hideo kojima mm. there was the longest period of time where that game had no release date yet they just fate fed us shit every couple of months what it felt like and it come to a point i'm like i'm gonna ignore all this until the game comes out mm. but saying that though I have also made that same rule when it comes to movies. I, If I'm interested, I'm not going to watch a trailer. I'll check it out. Like Toy Story as an example, I saw no trailers. But I think I think that's just sort of oddly part of it now. Yeah, but the thing is the, the movie industry, uh, again, with the uh, MCU stuff, they really shoot themselves on the foot when they show like so much of the movie in the trailer. It's like, dude, learn learn some restraint. Mm-hmm. I remember um, Spider-Man Homecoming. It's like you could just gauge what the entire movie was about from the trailer. Mm-hmm. It's like, just cut it down to like a minute and a half. Don't give me like a four-minute trailer. You know, I just... Ah, it's, but then it's those, those teaser trailers... Content teaser overload trailer. and the, not having the impact, yeah. Um, whereas I feel like, you know, um, obviously touch wood because they could just suddenly start releasing stuff, but Star Wars so far, just one little teaser trailer, pretty good. I'd be happy if they only... If they showed nothing between now and then, that's not going to happen. See, saying but that though, like they, Star Wars, if, if they just had like a longer, a one more longer trailer or something, and that was it, that'd be great. Mm. See, Star Wars are an example of someone that's learnt from that change because they tried to do that one thing and were like, "Here is the next fucking five years of Star Wars," and everyone was like, "That's too much Star Wars." All right, we're not going to tell you what's coming because we've stopped yeah. it. And I think yeah. that's the thing. Like I, using the Marvel Cinematic Universe's announcement the last couple of days, like he's he's the entire slate. And there's a couple reasons for that. Like, it, yes, they've done that the entire time, but Endgame was such a sort of finite end to what was the original, the first run, that they also need to demonstrate that they're still going strong. Mm. So I think it is, it's a, it's a, it's almost like a bit of a dick measuring contest. Yeah, like this isn't the end of us. Yeah, like although Endgame was the best fucking grossing movie ever, when we still have... Yeah, we still have a shit ton more to go. Mm. Give us your money. 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 Like, that's all it is. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I don't know where I was going uh. with that. Just started ranting at it. Well, I, I certainly don't envy the position of those games developers. I can just imagine, like, the pressure mm. um, and the expectation, just knowing, man, what if this entire thing goes tits up? Like, And that's well, why they keep it's it not that. Like, yeah, getting back onto the games thing, like, a lot of them do feel a lot of pressure because they're heavily under NDAs a lot of them can't even tell their families what they're working on mm, uh, mm. for years and years say a game has a five year development plan until it's publicly known a lot of them can't tell 
their friends, family, anything like that, what they're involved in, what they're doing at work, mm. what they're putting all their hours into. And if you look back a couple of years, uh, well, at least for the last few years, when Jason Schreier used to break a lot of the video game announcements for Ubisoft, which he doesn't do anymore because he's kind of given it away and said that they can have their own marketing release launch and stuff, he said that a lot of his leaks pretty much always came from people working on the games. Mm. concept artists things like that because they wanted the thing out there wanted it known so that they could publicly talk about it mm. Mm. well that that ties into like for instance i i know somebody who works for like you know a company that does like big like like you know like christmas windows and stuff like that for myers and stuff and he's they they have to sign a secrecy contract as well they're not allowed to talk about any details regarding the windows like as far as that year's production because if it leaked to anybody people are going to be like i know what it's about i'm not going to go and see it yeah you know um so i think you know it's similar to to game developers and stuff like that like anybody involved in that process i think that secrecy is necessary to ensure that they stay employed to ensure that they keep these contracts going and they keep these jobs because if they're just telling people what's going on people will be like oh i know about it now what's the point of me playing playing it you've just told me all about it same thing we go for movies as well yeah exactly yeah. it which you know uh, coming back to all that like i think there is like i said i think it's beneficial to have that veil, veil of secrecy in any industry um it's it's good to have that that i guess that level of um like uh removal i guess from those people and the consumers because you can't have consumers if you're telling them what they're getting like they can't consume mm. that product properly because they need to be able to sit down not knowing and immerse themselves in it that's the whole mm. part of why we play games and things like that is is for that experience for that immersion if somebody's telling me what the game's about i'm gonna be like oh well i know i'm not gonna fully immerse myself into that and i think as you mentioned so touching on upon something that dane mentioned as well was that the length of time that a game can make is if you are having to pull out information, drip feed it over that time, you are then opening yourself to critique that whole time. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. your original endeavor was will drastically change by the end of that time. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying the dev cycle should reduce because I don't want to play a game that was made in four months. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play a game that was made in a year and a half because that sounds bad. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, if it takes that five years, I think that I think that length of time is the key determinant. Like, the... the, 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 the line of difference i'm trying to get the right word here but i think it's the line of difference. i think that's what it is it's the time that's what i put down for so it could ultimately come down to the the marketing and pr teams having to change how they work then yeah and they control the the public perception of what the, what they're seeing and things like that because i don't think it it hurts anyone letting uh the public know what team x is making mm. whether they just want to tell the say say the sentence say give a logo they don't have they can control the message <clears throat> do, do you think there is an issue with having these companies that are making the product being the voice the gatekeeper being the voice like is isn't that that entirely consumerism like what what are we going to do for jobs mm. <laughs> as games content talkers <laughs> talkers <laughs> <laughs> you can do your speculative five things i'd like to see in the next uncharted post <laughs> <laughs> uh they would they would get clicks but i don't know how many quickly when i talked about you know like the uh, people releasing these too much in the movie trailers uh, you see i mean you've seen the shift um, obviously since to things like streaming platforms and the fact that videos content is so demanded um like bands 
okay, they they reveal a couple of songs prior to you know a, a, an album release, release. They do the real drip feed thing, but then it's like there's this massive acceleration right up until the release date. It's like, oh, here's an, here's this song, here's this song. I'm like, dude, come down, just give us like two, three mm. max, and they create like full video clips for like three or four things. I'm like, you, t- it's 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 too much, too soon. Just like, what happened to the days of just having like the first video the album comes out then the second video and like and i i mean i get it i i, I can answer that question myself but it's just find a balance like okay mm. yeah maybe give me a couple but don't spoil like three quarters of the album before it comes out but is the adding on to that was we sort of wrap this topic up do you think the ever-present social media of the 24-7 news cycle, whether it be in regular mm. news, entertainment news, it's one of those things. It's like, because back in the day, most news was delivered by a monthly magazine where mm. you could have that secrecy, but now that secrecy was never an issue because we only ever ju- just heard about it. Mm. Do you mm. think the world that we live in and that that I need shit now yeah. is plays a role? It massively plays a role, and I hate it. Like, I hate that people have become that. I hate that the industry's so become it. Um, it. It sucks. It's it ma- it makes it's the reason why I got Marvel fatigue. You know, it, it's it's basically you, you just see stuff, and you're like, man, I'm like, you get so overloaded that you're tired of just seeing these new things come out, and and certain things that should have great impact don't. Mm. You know, I'm I'm not going to drop into a movie review here or anything, but you know, when it's all you know, Lion King obviously much looked forward to and everything and came out and I was like, yeah, it was, it was fine. Do you know what I mean? There's, it, there's just so exists. much other stuff going on, mm. so. But yeah, but and I do think, I think it was you that raised it, that it is like today's kind of social media age that you can kind of get anything anywhere, anytime mm. kind of thing. And even touching on what you said, Simon, I think the way, the reason that the, the music industry's kind of rushed all the, the video clips and stuff these days and a lot of it's all done pre-releases because as of midnight the the, the album launches everyone gets it instantly on apple music mm. or spotify things like that mm. you don't have that chance to be like oh yeah my my passionate fans will go pick up the album and then we'll do the single for the next one in a month or so from now that'll yeah, get played on tv yeah. then a new wave of people will get it and then a couple months from now we'll do our next video and more people mm. will go get it everyone's got it straight away unless they put it behind a paywall well, Apple Music's kind of a paywall and Spotify yeah, and stuff like that, but still, for my subscription, I get boom instantly. It, it midnight. Just, it, yeah, it, it makes me worry for like I want to try and do my the best I can for and you know all anyone else within this chat that has children to try and like help kind of mold their upbringing so they just don't get sucked mm. in by it too much or they don't just have that expectation of okay, well I want it, so where is it? Mm. Um, scenario like the, my, the my, my kid's suddenly obsessed with watching toy unboxing videos he's like I want this <laughs> I want that I want this and I'm like okay it's kind of like fun and you know kind of cute for a little bit but now it's like th- there's no concept of like I have to wait until my birthday or I have to mm. wait until Christmas it's like where is it I want it Oh yeah, now, like get, get it for me. I'm like that. That toy's released in Japan. I can't even get it for you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a bit scary. I think the disposability of con- of of content now is certainly part of it as well. Like as you as you mentioned, Joel. Like once that album drops at midnight, everyone has it, and then within twelve hours, everyone's probably forgotten about it. Yeah, so I think which that, sucks. Yeah. Which is why I, I I've personally from a say we're talking music perspective i i will give an album it's due i'll i'll pick the album i want i'm I'm gonna listen to it on repeat for a week at least 
Um, I don't want to be skipping between new releases and stuff. And because I, I feel like the artists deserve it. They don't. It doesn't need to be a throwaway thing. Yeah. Um, they they work just just as hard as people in the film and games industry. So yeah, they 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 deserve the uh, me as a fan. I want to listen and um, I want to. You know, and things grow in you as well, much like a game would. You might, a game you might start and think, "Oh, this isn't that great," and then suddenly it kicks up a gear. Oh, this is really actually quite more immersive than I thought. Um, and it'd just be such a waste just to judge things within the first minute. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, of course. But there's, in short, there's a lot of people working behind the scenes at these game developing companies, and like they like cause they're passionate about what they're doing. They have a love. They have an investment. They they want to ensure that what they deliver is in the best light it possibly can so that odd intentionally brings me into the next topic which is gems you want to talk about passion in your profession yeah well i've run into recently uh, a bit of i guess it was disheartening as somebody who comes from a specialized industry you know like your game devs do you know for me piercing is a very specialized industry um we recently had a run in with a veterinarian who was a very neglectful, rude, mean, nasty person. And it got me thinking, like, how can somebody in such a specialised profession where your job is to love and nurture and care for other people's animals, um, like, how can you not be passionate about that? And how can you be in this sort of thing? And it got me thinking, like, how important is being passionate about your specific specific field like obviously we know people have jobs like you know maccas and stuff like that some people don't care some people are fully dedicated to that job and they rise the ranks in the company and stuff like that um so i'm just curious like do you guys think that you have to be passionate about what you do um or do you think that you can just sort of glide through being like eh like is it is it yeah is it is it vital to love what you uh, do. I'll answer a quick one. I don't think it's vital. I think it's very important for your own kind of mental health or your own mm. Uh, mm. kind of well-being your, you, that you feel satisfied in what you're doing. But I wouldn't say that it's vital because there's plenty of people out there that go to a job they don't like every day so they can pay the bills and feed their kids. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll jump in. So um, I think it's one of those things like, like Joel mentioned, it's not vital, but I think nowadays you've got the ability with technology with the internet geez even your mobile phone you've got the ability to basically chase happiness and and whether that's you know you doing your nine to five and then on the side you're doing your hustle with whatever that it is you do um gem something that you mentioned there at the start you know you might be a maccas and you're, you're loving life i think that's important i think people forget that you know being happy is so important um it provides you a quality of life it's it's fantastic for your mental health and that doesn't mean you can't be successful in in looking to things that you're happy with you know you could be i always go back to the you know whether you're working in a corporate job you might be happy you know earning your six figures you might want to take a pay cut and you know do something that you really enjoy whether it's you know creating art um you know piercing uh tattoos um whatever it is you might be the the king or queen of teenage mutant ninja turtles and you you know on instagram and you're creating all that and you turn that into monetize and you start doing that i think um i think if you if you fall into a job that you're passionate about i mean you're winning you know if you're creating value in yourself and and to others in what you do and you can bring in money to support your family and do all the rest of it you know you're killing it i think there's a lot of focus on people chasing the dollar and they're not chasing happiness and i know it sounds a bit like you know self-help and the rest of it but like i guess over the last couple of years you know 
from my perspective, you know, I was probably one that was chasing the dollar and was chasing the corporate jobs and the rest of it. And over the last couple of years for my own mental health, I've tweaked it. You know, I don't do work outside of that. You know, um, I try not to, you know, nine to five is what I do. Uh, as I said, my wife's a teacher, so she and, you know, definitely does. But we, we try and, you know, reduce that. Um, you know, I'm happy to, to take a pay cut if I can spend more quality time with my kids. Um, you know, there's, there's all these sort of things that... I have a new perspective on and I think um, I think even just sometimes it's a balancing act too so you might go to work and you might be you know this is okay I'm comfortable with this I'm not unhappy but you know it's not fulfilling my needs and and my complete happiness and then on the side I might do a podcast or I might work with these communities I might do other things and overall it's a good balance do you know what I mean so mm. it really just comes down to really what makes you happy and if it's a combination of two if it's going all in on something else um, yeah I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it well said. Yeah, I, I completely I completely agree. So something that I did talk about with Dane on his show Pushing Through Blue was the idea that like up until the job that I have now, I gave zero fucks about the jobs I had. Like cuz they were all just jobs because yeah. I needed them. Like I couldn't give two shits about the time I worked at McDonald's. I couldn't give two shits about the time I worked at fucking Dan Murphy's. I couldn't have give two shits about the time I worked at Energy Australia. Yeah, the first time I've named it on on a podcast by the way. Like I it was, I worked in the complaints department like there is nothing pa- I had no passion in being yelled at for eight hours yeah like so for, like that was so sort of thing and now that I have my current job where my job is literally working with youth and young adults and if I didn't bring that passion I'd be a detriment to the people that I work with mm. like as in my job would not happen if I didn't care mm. And I think that's mm, that's certainly mm. part of it. And yes, it works for me as well, because as I talked about on that show too, like by me finally being a job that I care about, it ma- it made me more happy. It made me introspective. It made me look at how I do things differently in a good way. And it actually changed my outlook on life. Um, and it's that, it's that thing, because if, if I go to work giving a shit every day, you know, like if I have that passion, I have that desire to help and grow the people that I work with, that will happen. Like if, if you go into a job shitty, you'll deliver shitty mm. and your job will be shitty. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I don't yeah. know where I was going with that either. But. I think this is where, um, not that we'll list them off because we probably did them in the first episode of some Assembly Required, at least some of us did. This is where hobbies come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel like I've made... A bit more time for uh, for family and for things that I enjoy that isn't in front of a computer screen because I love uh, you know I love doing all this podcasting and stuff but then comes all the editing and everything comes after mm. it. and again I'm sitting down at a computer and I sit down at a computer all day anyway um, and you know aside from obviously just can, can mess with your you know, headaches and neck aches and all that sort of stuff um, you just got to get out and kind of just disconnect from things anyway and that's where the role of me doing band jam and stuff each week is, is something I really look forward to. And I also like my job too. My job has become rewarding because I can see the stuff that I'm doing is having uh, a great effect. It's, it's one of the primary drivers for the growth of the business. And then I'm working alongside the sales team that are stoked because all these inquiries are coming in and they're like, you know, we're smashing like financial targets and everything as well. So there's like feel good on that monetary level. Mm. Um, and success and and being you know that I'm hired to do the thing I'm doing and it's working as well as outside of work being like okay great I can 
we'll go and do something with the family on the weekend here. And then, boom, you know, like middle of the week, especially, you know, like hump day and stuff, you know, I'm like, great. I'm not, I don't have to do any work tonight. I don't have to do any editing tonight. I'm just going to go and just jam out for a few hours and forget about things. And, and you find when in those moments, you're just, when you're not staring at a screen and, and, and you're not feeling um, tension and stuff like that, and you're just having a good time, you, I, I really f- feel like it kind of like refreshes you for the, the next week ahead of work. So Yeah, yep. and can I just also add as well, you might be in love with a profession, you might fall in love with doing something, but you might just be in the wrong environment to be doing that. So never discount the fact that, you know, you might like being, you may love being a veterinarian, you may love doing these things, not not creating that situation, but any sort of occupation, whatever it is, but you might not be around like-minded people. You might not be around people that share the same passion for you. There may be just people that are just there because they, because life brought them to that spot. Do you know what I mean? And it's amazing how and I'm speaking from my own experience, it's amazing how a shift in you know where you work or uh, the location of your work or so on and so forth, how you do it, can really have a shift on your mental health and, and how you view that job. Like, um, like again, f- talking from experience from my point of view, um, I was doing in the same industry. Uh, I worked with one group, absolutely hated it. Uh, it was terrible for my mental health. Uh, went into a different group. Fantastic. Super supportive, great for families. Mm. Uh, it completely changed my perspective. Uh, same sort of work, except you know it was just so much better. And it's just something that you can fall in love with again. And it's something that you realize in the right environment, surrounded by the right like-minded people, you can you can enjoy it if it's something yeah. that you do enjoy. Does that make sense? Yeah. So do you think? And and that's not saying that um, it doesn't come with its down points at all. No, you absolutely. Know, uh, halfway, halfway through a massive system shift that we've been working a couple of years towards and I end up just like completely snapping it at one of the salesmen who's you know might, might be a bit bit cocky a bit arrogant or something and 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 I just had to remind myself you know all this all, it just happened to be a a peak stress moment mm. and and just just the the wrong time and meeting up and I, I felt bad afterwards but it was fine afterwards we were talking and that and it was just one of those things that you're like okay that's just one of the things that's going to happen when you're putting so much effort into a particular outcome um and we've come at the other side of it better and it's just kind of like it's just one of those things overall it hasn't affected my view of my job or anything um you just got to take the bad with the good yeah Yeah, coming back to what you said jane like i i've been in that situation as well you know when i when i first started obviously i have a very specialized career um i when i first started i was in a situation where it was a bad team environment it was very money based um obviously my profession is purely aesthetic if it doesn't look good it's not good it's that simple this was one of those places that didn't care for that you know it was very much like you need to make us this much money every day Mm. and if you don't like you're not good enough essentially like and it I, i did have that moment very early on in my career in this where i was like maybe this isn't worth it maybe i should just give up on this um and then i did have that like oh you know like a different opportunities come up to do this in a different place and when i moved across i fell in love with that again um do you guys think sometimes like it is you know because some people just don't have hobbies they don't have things that they know that they like yet they're still figuring their lives out do you think sometimes it is as simple as just changing your environment or are there things you can change like 
like like completely shifting from one place to another or do you think there's things that you can do in your current environment to change that to make you fall in love with what you do again I think it depends on your position in the in the business that you work at. Like, um, if if you haven't like an example, say if you worked at McDonald's, right, and you had an issue with the processes of certain things, you're just pleb number four hundred and eight. Like, you don't have that say, so you would your decision would be to go to another store that where that isn't an issue. Like, if you depending on where you sit on that totem pole and what what your mm. pool is within that workplace. I think that is where you have the ability to go and change. Because I get in terms of what you're mentioning there is like a culture thing mm, and yeah. you need to change that culture. Mm. And sometimes leaving that culture is the best change. Yeah. I look at it as identifying what you can control and what you can't. Some mm. things you can control and then some things you can't. And you've got to realize that things just are outside your ability, capability to change people, the process, the structure and how the business works. Um, You've got to know when to what you can control, what you can switch off mentally, what you're happy to endure, and what you're not. Um, and I think it comes down to again, you know, touching on the happiness side of things. I think it really comes down to self awareness. You being self aware of you know the values that you have, what's important to you, what makes you a good person. And sometimes you know, there things don't align. You know, same sort of industries, different people, different organizations just doesn't align. And that's okay. You know, there, there is other opportunities out there. It's okay to look, you know, it's okay if you've exhausted all avenues and you know the things that you are unhappy with, you can't change in your current position, you know, and, and nothing outside is balancing it out for yourself, whether it's hobbies or, you know, the hustle on the side or any other projects that you have it's okay to look and it's okay to seek other opportunities because at the end of the day, you've got to be happy. Um, and you've taken the steps to know that, you know, you've done as much as you can in that position to, to find that. So, but certainly don't blame yourself. Like, you know, I've tried everything and I'm in a situation where like it, it must be me, you know, everyone else seems to be just morbidly okay in life and moving on with the day to day job sort of thing. But at the end of the day, we spend, we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time at work and we've got to be happy. You know, we've got to be, we've got to be comfortable. We've got to be happy. And whether that's happy finding value that we're providing to others and value to ourselves, or we're happy just going in, do what we're doing and know we're, you know, we're making some person yourself happy, but it's a long time to be, you know, it's a long time working. That's for sure. Yeah. But I do think, I do think there is part of that. Like I said, my, my job prior to the one I have now like that working within that energy sector i when i was ha hating my job i looked around to see what, what what you know i'm like well i'm working in this in this sector right now what other jobs are in this sector and i spoke to people that i knew that worked in other places and it's all the same mm. so that's how i knew i'm like nope i need something completely different here yeah. yeah like this isn't me unhappy here this is me unhappy in this business model yeah so yeah. that's what yeah and then i very lucky fell into this job but mm. that's certainly a thing as well what about you joel what, do you, what, what about you what's your thoughts on this one as we wrap this bad boy up yeah i'm pretty much echoing exactly what dane's saying i think at the end of the day you got to do what makes you happy and and understand what you can control and what you're able to to do to uh feel fulfilled whether that be like you were saying if if you don't have hobbies and stuff to to balance things out you got to try your best to try, see if you can fix the situation but if you can't you can't and at the end of the day you got to work out what what's best for you yeah 
So do, that, let's, let's just do this. So, Joel, mm. doing what you do does make you happy? Yeah. Simon, does doing what you do make you happy? Absolutely. <laughs> Dang. And no, I'm not a, a phone call worker. Yeah, he does like sex call lines, just so you know. Uh, Dane, does doing what you do make you happy? A lot of aspects of my job is very rewarding and I provide value and it make, that makes me happy. I'm in a very stressful job and sometimes I pull my hair out, but at the end of the day, it just takes those moments, those kind words, and to know you've changed someone's life potentially, that makes me happy. So it is my balance. Jim? Yeah, I think I'm definitely on the same page as Dane with that one. I think, you know, for the most part, I'm super passionate about what I do. I'm super happy in my job. And that happiness does stem from being in a job where I do get gratification from other people. Knowing that I've done the right thing for them makes me feel good about it. Well, I hope everyone at home listening, we've made you happy with this show that we have produced you. That's right. That sentimental moment became a cheap segue to ripping at the end of the show. Thank you, everyone, for checking out and listening to some Assembly Required. So for those that, you know, who didn't up until this point, some Assembly Required is our monthly roundtable podcast where members across the Australian podcast community get together, each with a random topic, and discuss it amongst the Assembly. If you have liked that, be sure to follow Some Assembly Required over at dashgamer.com, the iTunes, the Spotify's, and all those podcasty services. And, of course, you can uh, follow the man himself that hosts all this beautiful chats at dashgamer with at, at dashgamers on Twitter, and with, you'll get your details there when every episode drops. Now, let's go do this around bit by bit, and everyone can tell us where, can, where they can find you. Once again, looking at my screen, Dane is on the left. Dane. Hey, uh, so you can find me, uh, Dane Peavy, at that, at Dane Peavy on both uh, Twitter Not and Instagram. Not Dane Peavy. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and my podcast, Pushing Through Blue, uh, again, um, it's on Twitter and Instagram, but you can find it on most uh, podcast platform services. Joe. You can find my written work at anigame.com. That's A-N-I-Game.com. Uh, primarily on the socials on Twitter at anygame underscore au and you can follow my podcast work uh it's a podcast called talent talk where i interview uh anime voice actors uh on itunes and on the website rad and fucking simo mate simo ah shit eh? <laughs> where, um, where they uh, find you bloody that's not my twitter handle <laughs> so you can find me personally uh on twitter at precise path uh two two podcasts um, take My Tone, you can find that on all the social services and TakeMyTone.com and all the podcast players. It's a uh, fun music discovery podcast as well as I have a uh, Apple Tech podcast called Apple Slice. Again, all the same players and AppleSlice.com.au. Very tidy. What about the the the, uh, the Big Gem Machine? The Big Gem Machine, you can find me personally on Twitter at Gem the Piercer as well as on Instagram uh, otherwise you can find me on the YouTube the Spotify's or your podcasting services under The Young and the Wrestlers from The Pop Culturists that's right um, you can find The Pop Culturists on all socials as well 
Um, and how about yourself? Yeah, I'm in the same place, funny. <laughs> funny you <laughs> mentioned that. It's super weird. It's That's literally so the same I places. <laughs> he is also Gem the Piercer. He is also Gem the Piercer. Yeah, yeah. So you can follow me. Per- you can follow me personally on Twitter at HaggardMC. That's H A W G A R D M C. Uh, you can follow the Pop Culturist on there as well. Pop Culturist AU, I believe, on Twitter. Yes. We are on like Facebooks and shit as well. It's and we, apart from the Young and the Wrestlers, we do also have uh, for the players the Pop Culturist PlayStation podcast um, with a bunch of assorted shit on there so everyone at home thank you so much for joining us for this lovely lengthy conversation keep all your secrets Ooh, hidden lengthy. keep your accent strong <laughs> love what you do and I forgot what the other topic was what was the other topic secrecy of games I think I did that one did you ah fuck it see you all next time <laughs> yeah stay veiny <laughs> everyone have a good bush talk eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah sexy Dashgamer.com